in this reaction of the citric acid cycle, coenzyme A makes a curious cameo. Ketogenic diet has neurological benefits. Why do we have to eat such an enormous amount of food? science, clear explanations. Class is starting now. Hi, I'm Dr. Chris Masterjohn of chrismasterjohnphd.com, and you're watching Masterclass with Masterjohn. Today we are in our seventh in a series of lessons on the system of energy metabolism. We've been picking apart the details of the citric acid cycle one by one to talk about why each detail is important to human health and how it fits into the system as a whole. Today, we're going to talk about the alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase step. And there is so much to unpack in this step that I'm actually going to break this step into two lessons. In today's lesson, we're just going to talk about what happens. In the next lesson, we're going to unpack many aspects of why it's important. You'll see by the end of these two episodes why it really needed to be split in two. But there's so much to talk about here. For example, we have the convergence of three B vitamins all on the same step. Thiamine, vitamin B1, riboflavin, vitamin B2, and niacin, vitamin B3. We have this strange appearance of coenzyme A who comes back and then leaves. We have alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase being critical to the story of oxidative stress in the body and how it impacts many diseases, but in this case, especially neurodegenerative disease. But before we can talk about all those implications, we need to just lay out the facts. What is actually going on here? Shown on the screen is what we've talked about so far. We had coenzyme A who dropped the acetyl group off at the citric acid cycle and left over the course of a multi-step reaction in which oxaloacetate was converted to citrate. Citrate was isomerized to isocitrate an isocitrate was converted to alpha-ketoglutarate by isocitrate dehydrogenase, which oxidized the carboxyl group indirectly using NAD+, to release the carboxyl group as carbon dioxide and to carry its electrons back to the electron transport chain as NADH. There's now multiple steps to talk about before we get all the way to the end of the cycle. But the first one involves, what do we do with alpha-ketoglutarate? And in the last lesson, we talked about how moving the hydroxyl group from the third carbon to the second when we isomerize citrate to isocitrate is what allows us to form the unstable beta-ketoacid oxalosuccinate that decarboxylates itself. That was easy peasy, man, piece of cake. We don't have that opportunity anymore. Now we have the difficult thing of having to decarboxylate alpha-ketoglutarate 
that doesn't have this unstable characteristic of oxalosuccinate. So to do this requires a massive operation. In net, alpha-ketoglutarate is converted to succinyl-CoA. CoA has to come in to make that happen, and what's happening to alpha-ketoglutarate is carbon dioxide is leaving. Just as with isocitrate dehydrogenase, the ultimate acceptor of the electrons in this reaction is NAD+, which takes the electrons to become NADH and carries them to the electron transport chain. This is catalyzed by alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase, but don't be fooled. Alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase is not an enzyme. It's a massive complex of three different enzymes that are repeatedly included in many units. It's actually a massive enzymatic factory. The first reaction catalyzed by the alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase complex requires the B vitamin thiamine, also known as vitamin B1. In its activated form, thiamine is bound to two phosphates, making it thiamine pyrophosphate, or TPP, not to be confused with the Trans-Pacific Partnership. You can see TPP shown on the screen. Over on the left is thiamine. These are the two phosphates that are added. Pyrophosphate is just another word for diphosphate, or two phosphates. The critical parts of thiamine structure to pay attention to are the positively charged nitrogen and the carbon that's next to it. In order to make it easier to focus on the parts of the structure that matter, we're just gonna simplify TPP as this shape and we're gonna draw out the atoms and bonds that we wanna focus on. The unusual property of TPP that underlies its ability to participate in decarboxylation reactions is the positively charged nitrogen that allows the carbon to which it's bound to ionize. It is incredibly rare for a carbon to ionize. In previous lessons, we've seen OH groups ionize. The reason an OH group so easily ionizes is that oxygen holds onto electrons way more tightly than hydrogen. When we talk about the oxygen-hydrogen bond, we call it a polar bond because the electrons are so tightly bound to oxygen relative to hydrogen. And hydrogen is like, what, you call this sharing? Like, fine, you wanna hold on to the electrons so tightly, whatever, I'm outta here, dude. With carbon-hydrogen bonds, it's totally different. There's a slight polarity to them because carbon holds on to the electrons a little bit more tightly than hydrogen does, but the polarity is so slight that we tend to refer to a CH bond as a nonpolar bond. And so carbon and hydrogen are sharing the electrons mostly equally, and that's a comfortable relationship for them. They don't usually split apart because they work together so well.
However, everything changes when you have a positively charged nitrogen next to that carbon. The thing is, positive charges attract negative charges and they repel other positive charges. If this ionizes, there's a negative charge here on the carbon and a positive charge on the hydrogen. You can think of this nitrogen and this hydrogen pushing each other away and the nitrogen winds up repelling the hydrogen ion from the molecule. You can also think of the nitrogen as balancing the negatively charged carbon. Usually having a separation of charge makes something a little bit more unstable because positive and negative charges always want to be attracted to one another. But the fact that this negative charge is so closely balanced by a positive charge adds some stability to that ion that you wouldn't usually have. Now, the carbon possessing a negative charge makes it called a carb anion. An ion is something that has a full charge, whether it's positive or negative. An anion is a negative charge and is distinguished from a cation, which is a positive charge. We rarely see anions that are carbons. So when we do, we call them carb anions. So on the left, we have TPP. And on the right, we have the TPP carb anion. In order to understand the critical importance of these structural features of thiamine, we need to think a little bit more about the carbonyl that it's going to wind up pulling to itself from the alpha-ketoglutarate molecule. A carbonyl group is polar. Plotted in the table here is the electronegativity of carbon at 2.5 and the electronegativity of oxygen at 3.5. This is an estimate of how tightly each of these atoms holds onto electrons. So you can see that oxygen is more electronegative than carbon, so it's going to hold on to the electrons more tightly than the carbon does. Now, a carbonyl group is not an ion. It doesn't have a full charge. However, the bond is polar because the oxygen is holding on to the electrons that they're sharing more tightly than the carbon is. It's a covalent bond. They are sharing them. They are equal, but sometimes some people in an equal relationship are a little bit more equal than others. And that's exactly what's going on here. So what we do is we say that oxygen has a partial negative charge and we symbolize it with a lowercase delta negative and carbon has a positive, a partial positive charge, which we symbolize with the lowercase delta positive. The key structural features of alpha-ketoglutarate that relate to the reaction catalyzed in a thiamine-dependent manner are the carboxyl group and the alpha-keto group. And so for the rest of these slides, we're going to abbreviate the alpha-ketoglutarate molecule similar to as we did for thiamine, and we're going to draw attention to this carboxyl group in green and this ketone carbonyl in pink. When we look at the next slide, you're going to want to keep in mind that the carbonyl group is polar 
and that the carbon is partial positive and the oxygen is partial negative. It's rarely the case in chemistry that one carbon is negatively charged to allow it to be attracted to another carbon that has a partial positive charge, but that's exactly what thiamine allows us to accomplish. And so because the TPP carbanion has this negative charge, it's going to pull this carbon of alpha-ketoglutarate close to itself because of the partial positive charge. Now, as it comes near, this oxygen can very easily be reduced to a hydroxyl group. And because there's this abundance of negative charge, that's actually what happens. First, the negative charge pulls the carbon in, and when it gets close enough, that oxygen starts pulling on that electron, so it hops and it skips and it jumps up to the oxygen. A negative charge there causes a positively charged hydrogen to come in and balance it and form an OH group. So that's the first structural feature of thiamine that's important, the carbanion to glue the alpha-ketoglutarate molecule temporarily to the TPP molecule. Once that happens, the second structural feature of thiamine becomes important, and that's the positively charged nitrogen. We say that that nitrogen acts as an electron sink, meaning because of its positive charge, if it finds any extra negative charge in the vicinity, it's gonna suck it up like a vacuum. And that's exactly what it did, what it does. As alpha-ketoglutarate becomes glued to the TPP molecule, this negative charge of this carboxyl group is in such close proximity to this positively charged nitrogen that it hops and skips and jumps down to the nitrogen. That means that the positively charged nitrogen has oxidized the carboxyl group, which is exactly what we need to do to a carboxyl group in order to release it as carbon dioxide. But it also means that the positive charge in this nitrogen, because it's accepted an electron, is now neutralized. So you'll note that the carboxyl group has been released as carbon dioxide already. The decarboxylation reaction has now already taken place. And what's left over is not actually alpha-ketoglutarate anymore, but for consistency, it's still abbreviated here as alpha-KG. It's the remainder of the alpha-ketoglutarate molecule that now has a hydroxyl group, but no carboxyl group, and it's bound to TPP. Because the electron came up to nitrogen and satisfied that positive charge, the nitrogen no longer needs to share a second bond with carbon. So instead, carbon has fulfilled its need for a bond by forming a second bond with this carbon, which has just undergone an oxidation step to release this carbon dioxide. And that's why you see the rearrangement of the molecule showing no positive charge, a single bond, and a double bond moved to this position. Now, let's stop for a moment and look at what we've done so far and where we're going to in order to see what has to be done next. 
Let's just call what we have currently glued to the TPP molecule the reaction intermediate. And pay attention to the part that's highlighted in pink. Where we want to get to at the end of this series of reactions is succinyl-CoA. Now, succinate isn't part of this reaction, but just for the purposes of comparison and reference, I've shown succinate down here. If you look at the pink part of succinate and the pink part of succinyl-CoA, you'll see that all that's going on is the succinyl group of succinyl-CoA is, as you should expect at this point, the acyl-CoA or the acyl group of the acyl-CoA that corresponds to succinate or succinic acid. If you compare the reaction intermediate to succinyl-CoA, what you see is that it still needs to be oxidized. If we can oxidize this carbon and this oxygen, we can form this double bond. If we need to oxidize the reaction intermediate in order to generate the succinyl group of succinyl-CoA, we're going to need an oxidizing agent. And the oxidizing agent we use at this point is lipoic acid. If you look at the top, you see oxidized lipoic acid, and on the bottom, you see reduced lipoic acid. The difference is that there's a disulfide bond in the oxidized form. And a disulfide bond is two sulfurs bound together to one another. Disulfide bonds are in their oxidized state. They can accept electrons, and when they do, instead of bonding with each other, they'll each bond with an additional hydrogen. That will create reduced sulfhydryl groups, SH groups, which are also called thiol groups. Since lipoic acid has a disulfide that can accept electrons to generate sulfhydryl groups, that disulfide bond can oxidize other molecules. Enter the second enzyme. We're now going to see the step where the first enzyme of the alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase complex that we've been talking about all this time is going to pass what becomes the succinyl group to the second enzyme. The second enzyme, E2, is dihydrolipoyl succinyl transferase. That refers to the lipoate or lipoic acid group bound to the second enzyme, which in its fully reduced state would be a dihydrolipoyl group. And succinyl transferase refers to that it's transferring the succinyl group from the first enzyme to the second. The lipoate starts with a disulfide bond that's in its oxidized form, and it can accept two electrons. It takes two electrons. One comes from the oxygen and one comes from the TPP molecule, and there's a hydrogen ion in solution. The first electron and the hydrogen ion generate a sulfidyl group of one of the sulfurs on lipoate. The second electron is used to glue the succinyl group to the other sulfur, taking that binding site away from TPP. Ultimately, in the reconfiguration of electrons, electrons are being sucked in this direction, 
and that causes the electron that had neutralized the positive charge of nitrogen to move back down to the carbon where it gives the carbon its negative charge. And this double bond has now moved between the nitrogen and carbon because this is now the electron deficient state now that the TPP molecule has been oxidized. Now we have actually generated a succinyl group. This hydroxyl becoming this carbonyl is what makes that the succinyl group, the acyl group that corresponds to succinic acid or succinate. Now what we need to do is we need to succinylate coenzyme A. We need to get the succinyl group away from enzyme 2 onto coenzyme A. But we also have to take these electrons that are now on the lipoate molecule and we need to get them over to NAD+, so that it can, in the form of NADH, bring them down to the electron transport chain where their energy can be released to make ATP. The second enzyme then transfers the succinyl group to coenzyme A. There is no electron transfer, there's no redox reaction, nothing's going on here except the hydrogen of the coenzyme A sulfhydryl group is switching places with the succinyl group so that the succinyl group gets loaded onto coenzyme A and that hydrogen gets loaded onto the sulfur to complete the second sulfhydryl group. And so now we have finished making succinyl CoA and now we've finished generating the dihydrolipoyl group. So when we say this enzyme is dihydrolipoyl succinyl transferase, now that it's completed this part of the reaction steps, it's actually manifested the fullness of its name. The succinyl transferase refers to transferring the succinyl group to CoA. Dihydrolipoyl refers to this final reduced state of the lipoyl group of enzyme 2. Enter the third enzyme. The third enzyme is dihydrolipoyl dehydrogenase. That refers to the dihydrolipoyl group of enzyme 2 that's going to have its hydrogen ions and its electrons be taken away, dehydrogenated, and it shouldn't surprise us at this point to see that the ultimate electron acceptor in a dehydrogenase is going to be NAD+. We, in fact, just saw that with isocitrate dehydrogenase, and we'll see it over and over and over again. However, one extra thing that's happening here is that enzyme 3 is using riboflavin as an intermediate. Remember, NAD plus is derived from vitamin B3 or niacin. FAD is derived from riboflavin or vitamin B2. And it's FAD that first takes the hydrogen ions and electrons from the sulfhydryl groups of lipoate, and it becomes FADH2. NAD plus then comes in and scoops them up and leaves as NADH to go to the electron transport chain and deliver them there for ATP synthesis. Now, one of the principles that this involves here is that riboflavin is usually a structural part of the enzymes that it's 
a cofactor for, whereas NAD is usually diffusible. And in the case of FAD, we call this a prosthetic group. That's sort of like a prosthetic hip or a prosthetic knee. If you get a new joint, that's your joint. It's not going anywhere. Similarly, FAD is bound to this enzyme and doesn't leave. NAD plus, by contrast, is diffusing through the environment and it's got to go from this location over to the electron transport chain and its diffusible nature makes it well suited to be bringing electrons from one place to another. FAD is well suited to being part of this enzyme bound into the intricate convolutions of the active site in just the right position to be coordinated to take the electrons from Lipoate. All right, so we've seen that the alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase complex coordinates a stunningly complex series of reactions that require thiamine, niacin, riboflavin, and lipoic acid. We've seen coenzyme A come back to the citric acid cycle, making this curious appearance, and we're soon going to see that it's just going to leave in the next step. So we've got a lot to talk about, about the implications of the convergence of all these vitamins, about why CoA is coming in and leaving, and about how this reaction relates to oxidative stress and neurodegenerative diseases especially. But we're going to save that for the next time. The audio of this lesson was generously enhanced and post-processed by Bob Devodian of Torian Mixing giving you strong sound and dependable quality. You can find more of his work at torianonlinemixing.com. If you want to continue watching these lessons, you can find them on my YouTube at youtube.com slash chrismasterjohn or on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash chrismasterjohn or at chrismasterjohnphd.com slash biochemistry. All right, I hope you enjoyed this lesson and found it useful. Signing off, this is Chris Masterjohn of chrismasterjohnphd.com. You've been watching Masterclass with Master John, and I will see you in the next lesson.